the Recovery Revolution will be podcast on the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Network. This is the Unruffled Podcast, Episode 26. This is a podcast about recovery through creativity. We live an intentional life. We thrive. I am Sandra Primo. And I'm Tammy Salas. And we are The Unruffled. How are you, Sandra? Good morning. I'm good. I'm good. I'm a little tweaky because (laughs) I... I uh, had my writing class last night, and then I was just all jazzed and amped up when I came home, and I couldn't fall asleep. Oh, I and like that. It, I mean, in a good, <laughs> right? In a good way. It's all good, except that, you know, I didn't get my eight hours, and so I maybe got like six and a half or seven. I don't know. Um, but just even that one less hour, I can kind of feel it. Like, I just feel a little feel a little edgy, just a little bit edgy. But I love um, the excitement part. I know. I know. I'm loving my writing class. I tell you, though, when I jump into one thing, it sort of consumes and takes over everything else. Like I haven't had a lot of studio time, uh, but we're having a a reading. So at the end of, of, well, not every workshop session, maybe every couple, um, my writing teacher has a public reading. She hosts a public reading at a little tiny theater here in Austin. And so that's next week (gasps) on Wednesday. I know it's so fun. It's so fun. Like I've had, I've had friends come. I've also had, uh, just people show up that I didn't even know were going to come. Um, so people, but it's also people that take, um, Spike's class and uh, you never know who's going to be in the audience. It's a tiny audience, but it's still fun. It's still fun to get up and read a piece that you wrote and it's fun to listen to everyone else's. Um, it's just a good old time. And so, yeah, so I've, I finished one piece last week. I finished another piece this week. We have a couple more classes and I think I might even finish one more piece. So it's kind of crazy that I've banged them out. Yeah. I know, I know. I'm going to put up another one. I'm so, going to put the one up I finished uh, yes, the, this week on up on my Medium site. So when you do this, is it just, is it by being around all these other writers, do you get kind of, you're in the groove of it, you know, that you're inspired or that, that you just, or the, is it I just the physical writing of it? Like you're, like you're I at. I think it's a little of both. I think having, I guess I am definitely one of those people that, uh, gets inspired by a little bit of outside accountability. Hmm. And so, uh, just by virtue of going to the class every week, uh, inspires me to get it done, yeah. you know? So I have a, I have a bit of a deadline. I have, you know, I, I've got a little bit of a, a account- accountability and uh, that makes me wrap it up. If not, then I could work on a piece. I could fiddle <laughs> with it forever, you know? Right. And so um, this sort of just nudges me along and makes me actually finish things. 
And, you know, I just do these. It's, I, I mean, this is purely an outside interest just for fun, really, just for the joy of doing it. I really like writing these little vignettes that I've been writing. I, yeah. I love them. I like how you call them that too and how that you Thanks. have them in a separate place um, where they're kind of just like in a holding cell a little bit. You know what I mean? They they're are. like all together. I don't, I don't know if they have a purpose. I don't know what their little purpose is. Mm -hmm. But for now, I just dump them there. And um, I love them. I love picking out the picture to go with them. And they're all only about five to 800 words. So they're very short. Mm -hmm. Well, that last one you just did um, about the womb. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't know if it was about the womb, but that's what I got from mm -hmm. it. Just the yeah, womb. That was the uh, I it. loved it. I loved it. And it was so visual and what you packed in with just, yeah, without it being a 3000 word essay, it was like so powerful and so Thanks. visual. Oh, it's I loved a good it. exercise. Edit down, edit down, edit down, make it just really dense. And then the other thing is because I read them out loud, mm. they're, I almost write them to be read out loud. So they, uh, while they work fine on the page as the written word, they also work really well, uh, as far as I'm concerned, being read aloud. So anyway, they're very oh, fun. It's I love it. And I, and I said they were visual. They're, they're sensory. They're yeah. not just visual. No, it's everything. It's everything how you describe food and just the sweat and the how clothes were fitting you. Everything. It's just um, like, it's like I was in it. You know, I could, I was like in that space. So I think they're beautiful. Thank you. And I'm glad you're doing them again. Yeah. When I get a little email from medium and you're on there because you're the only one I think I follow on medium. <laughs> Sorry, anybody else. <laughs> yeah. But it pops up when they're recommending five things for me to read and, you know, and you're one of them. And I always go, Oh, she did another piece. I'll have to go check. And it happens right away. I think, I think as soon as you posted yeah. it, it comes to me. So I'm like, Oh, I love that. Um, I've never posted anything on medium, but you've given me pause to think about putting some things that I wouldn't put on my blog, maybe a little bit more personal things. Um, yeah, yeah. There to try on I for just, size. Yeah. I, um, I don't know why it feels good to put them somewhere else. I, I guess because you, I, I feel like I, I am a published author. I published myself. Mm -hmm. That's right. <laughs> we got to do what we can do. And we call ourselves writers. We're writers, well, yes, right? Yes, I am a published yes, author. Yes, I am. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, good job on that. Thanks. I'm very proud of you. I am. Uh, yeah. What um, have you been up to this week? I finished a painting. I named a painting and finished it and That's it resolved itself. So or, exciting. It is. It's kind of, it, I do take a, some time with my paintings. Um, and I know that my art professor has told me you know, that a painting has to, it's a call and response and that you have to, you know, I can't just knock it out and be done and on its no. way it goes. You have to kind of, I have to sit with it. I have to uh -huh. look at it. I have to put it aside for a while. I have to go back and see what it's saying and see what it needs. And, um, this Sunday I was just laying in bed because I moved the painting to my bedroom and I was like, I'm not sure if it's done. And it was, um, it was a pretty chaotic underpainting. And on the very under, under side of the painting, I wrote the word surrender mm. uh, or painted it. Yeah. And then I painted over it. And then I forgot that I wrote that until I looked at some pictures because I take pictures of my work in progress. 
And, um, so I was laying in bed and then I was, I was like, I have all these big black graphic circles that I put on it. And I was like, Oh, I wonder how many there are. And so then I counted and then I miscounted and I caught up and I was like ticking them off. And I'm like, there's 31. And I laid back in bed and I was like, well, actually there was a few more because I painted over them. Do I count those or some broken circles? Anyhow, I was just going through my head. So then the 31 kind of stuck with me. And then I was like, it's my 31st month of sobriety this month. Oh, that's cool. I'm like, this painting is done. It's all done hmm. because it's called full circle. My painting series, I'm painting a bunch of paintings with circles. Cause that's what I'm drawn to and orbs. And, um, and I was like, this one's done. It's full. It's the full circle is here. There's 31. I had gone back and gone over some p- circles without even knowing that, you know, when I was doing the painting process, it was funny cause they didn't look right to me. They didn't feel right. They didn't connect right. They were too small. And so when I went back and looked, I was like, this is pretty cool, but that's just how it happened. So I got that up in my shop and I'm happy to have that finished. It felt good to put a punctuation mark at the end of that. Oh yeah. That always feels good. Well, I saw, I've seen it of course, and I love it. I'm sure somebody it'll, it'll find a new home. Yeah. It's on a wood panel, which I haven't painted on wood panels before. I've painted just on regular canvas. Oh, wow. That's cool. So it's really nice, thick one and a half inch side. So like when I take off the tape, it's just going to look beautiful. You just put on the wall. It's just, it's done. It's, it's ready to go. Oh, yeah. That's so that's cool. Well, do you have any fun things going on? You know, I kind of do have something fun. Sure. I'll share. (laughs) Well, so tonight, okay. So tonight there's, there's a huge, uh, um, fundraiser for the Hurricane Harvey here in Austin tonight. And it was one of those things that if you didn't know somebody to jump on or if you weren't waiting by the computer five hours before the tickets went on sale, you you were going to miss out. And um, I always miss out on these things. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how people get tickets to things. I have no idea how they do it because I never do. I'm going to help I'm you. I'm always like, oh, man, it's sold out. Like everything I've ever wanted to see in the last few years. It's just already sold out before I even, you know, get a heads up. Not Hamilton. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I guess I'm just talking about music in Austin. Ah, gotcha. It's hard to, I mean, for being the music capital of of the world, I guess is what we are called here in Austin, it's hard to see music here. I mean, unless you're just right on the pulse of it. Right. Or you know somebody or something. But when somebody comes to town that's kind of big or good or whatever the tickets just go very quickly my husband actually is really good at winning tickets on the radio it's really <laughs> up how many tickets he wins all the time that's mark's see. specialty yeah it, nice. it really is it's his superpower he can win <laughs> uh tickets on um radio contests it's mm-hmm. hilarious but um so so that's the, the, like the only way we get to go or uh, since I have a lot of really cool friends that are better at this than me, they get tickets to things and then sometimes they invite me. And so, um, so I am going to the show tonight and I'm a little bummed that I'm kind of tired. I may have to take a nap because it's going to be way past my bedtime, but, um, but so worth it because it's the, it, okay. So just listen to the lineup, please. Okay. okay. Just, yeah. Willie Nelson, Paul Simon, James Taylor, Bonnie Raitt, 
Leon Bridges, Lyle Levitt, Nathaniel Ratcliffe, and the Ratliff, I'm sorry, and the Night Sweats, Edie Brickell. Edie Brickell. Um, My mouth is wide open. Go. <laughs> I know. And then there's some of our local people like Charlie Sexton and um, Asleep at the Wheel. Uh, I love Asleep at the Wheel. Yeah. They're going to be the house band. And then there's going to be like celebrities there like Matthew McConaughey and Dan Rather and Shut up. Zellweger and, and Luke Wilson. You're hobnobbing. I you are it. hobnobbing tonight. Now, granted, it is at the biggest venue in Austin. <laughs> and I don't know where our seats are. Whatever. Mm-hmm. I do not care. I am so excited. I don't know what I'm going to wear. <gasps> I, you have I to style yourself. I know. It, it, this is a big deal. I'm going to manifest McConaughey for you. I have to give a shout out to my friend Nancy, who I think listens to my podcast. And thank you, Nancy. Nancy, I, you're I, rad. I know, I know. She's a she's an old friend. We've been we've known each other for a long time, and she invited me. I'm her plus one, so I just can't. I'm so excited. I can hardly stand it. I'm so excited for you. Okay, well, you must have plenty of beautiful things to wear. I do. Okay, yeah, of I'm sure. I want to make something. <laughs> of but course, I do. I <laughs> you want to whip up something new right now? Closets that I can barely stick a finger. In, <laughs> have something to wear. I'm certain of it. Oh, okay. Yeah. I want to, I want a picture of you and Nancy. Make somebody take a picture of the two of you tonight. I, mean, I will. Oh, I will. that's so awesome. So what time does that start? Starts at seven. Uh, so yeah, that's going to be a late night. Discussing. Oh, I know. I know. Yeah. Way past my bed. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I think about Friday nights. I'm like, Oh, that's yeah. That's past nine. I don't know. I don't know if I can do that. I <laughs> I know. Well, Willie's going to be there. Oh, so that's so cool. I, I'm so yeah. happy. If Willie can do it, I can do it. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> what does Matthew McConaughey say? All right, all right, all right. So it'll, it's all going to be all right tonight. Oh, that is so cool. And Lyle Lovett, I love him. I know. I love him. It's crazy. I know. It is an all-star show. Okay, well, you're having a way bigger Friday night than I'm having. I am. Yeah. I probably, I'm just going to go ahead and say that I probably am. Mm, that's all right. I'm going to live through you. That's good. That's good stuff. Mm. Well, I, I had a, I had a, I have not anything exciting planned for this weekend. My, my <laughs> son's going to see a Jaws film at his school tonight. It's like an all-school movie. It's Jaws. So oh, that's I'm in cool. a, That may be scared the Jesus out of me. <laughs> right? I don't know why they picked that, but yeah, I'm doing yoga tomorrow, which don't be shocked. I loved your text on I know. Saturday. The text was like, wait, did I send a text to the wrong person? Tammy, right? You're going to, into yoga. Okay. No, Sandra, I'll get back to you. I'm walking into yoga. And I, when I read your response, you're like, is this Tammy? <laughs> Very funny. Yeah, that's my big plan for the weekend. And um, that's perfect to not to have kind of an open calendar is good. It's very good. Um, I am going to a new women's meeting today on Fridays. I'm trying to go to this new women's meeting at noon. And next week, I'm the guest speaker there. So I'm trying to go to see like kind of the formats a little bit different since it's a new meeting to me. But it's a it's um, it's a little bit different format in that they kind of give advice a little bit. Oh, there's crosstalk. Um, a little bit, yeah. So at the end of the meeting, like after everybody does their sharing, it's a small meeting. They're like, if anybody has any issues that, you know, they want some um, 
you know, to ask for any help on, you know, go, you guys can go ahead and go around and do that. And I was like, oh, I've oh, never, cool. never oh, had okay. this. So it's meeting. separate from the, yeah. Kind of, yeah, yeah. You do the regular and then at the very end, if there's time, which there was, so like somebody said, I'm having trouble meditating. Does anybody have any suggestions? And then some, two people said something and, and another person's having a hard time finding friends who are sober in real life. Do you have mm-hmm. any suggestions? So it was really nice. It was, it's called Women Empowering Women Meeting. And um, yeah, so and then the, the last day of the month, they, they have a guest speaker. And I guess that'll be me. So I'll, I'll share. But I remember just like how nervous I was the first time I shared in a meeting and thinking I had to be prepared and knowing now that it's best that I'm not prepared and I just kind of speak from the heart. So I'm trying to just, you know, before I had such anxiety beforehand and, and I don't feel that way. It's interesting how things have changed just in, you know, nine months or so since my first uh, kind of big share at a women's meeting. So yeah, that's, that's my big plan for next week. But today is the autumnal equinox. Yeah. And it's our recovery gals art exchange day, which I know when this posts, it won't be, it won't be this day, but, um. I'm kind of excited for it today. Yeah, I think there's already people in our Facebook group that are that are posting things. It's very it's a very fun day. Uh, my partner will not be posting my piece yet because she does not have it yet. <laughs> but mine is almost done, and I really love it. I didn't love my. I had such a hard time with the last one. I can't even. I don't even want to talk about it anymore. I had okay. such a hard time. But. <laughs> I mean, I definitely, you know, was with my my exchange partner, and we, we talked about it every other week until I was sick of hearing my own words. Um, but uh, but this one I'm excited about, and I like I was excited about the last one. What for whatever reason it wasn't flowing out mm-hmm. of me, yeah. but um, but this one I'm really excited about. I like I like where my piece is going, and the piece I received is a. Uh, Amazing! I cannot wait to. Who's your partner? Our first name. Her name is Heather. Heather. Okay, great. Yeah, great. Yeah, and it's amazing. And I don't know her outside of out of uh, outside of our exchange group. I don't. And um, but this piece is so beautiful. Well, the theme this time. So this has been a full year since our first Recovery Gals Art Exchange. So if those of you listening who don't know about it, if you want to learn about it, you can contact us, um, send us an email or um, contact us through Facebook and we can add you to the group. But basically, we pair up women who are in recovery. You know, like this time around, we had a, a lot. I can't even remember, like 25, 30. And we give you a partner and we share a theme. So this theme for this time around was connection and you can create based on that theme. Um, it, it can be anything. It could However be loose or literal you want to, uh, translate the theme and yeah. in any medium you want to use. Yeah. It's wide open. So you can get creative with it. I was chatting with someone this week that was uh, struggling to kind of finish something and, or to even create anything. And I said, just need to think outside the, and she said, I don't feel like I have the time to make anything. And I, I feel guilty. And then that's now I, you know, don't want to disappoint someone. And I was like, you could pick a string, a beautiful silk string and it's connected. Right. And then you could cut it and you wear one and the other person you send to your partner. Like it could be, it doesn't have to be a visual work of art. It doesn't have to be something that's going to take days to make. You really just 
It's for you to think about and ponder how you're connected to someone maybe, or connected to your own sobriety or connected to your family. I don't know, like whatever, but Mm -hmm. it's been really like Christmas for me when everybody starts sharing, um, their projects. And so I got my box last night and I wasn't going to open it until today, but I couldn't wait. So I opened it (laughs) and it's just so thoughtful and so lovely. And the time and energy that people put into these things are just really sweet. Yes, I agree. It is. It's yeah, it's so it's such a fun. So all all of the pieces will be coming in, coming in, (coughs) excuse me, over the next week probably or longer even and yeah it's just so fun to see what people have sent and received yeah and if people want to see what we're even talking about on instagram we have a hashtag called recovery gals art exchange all one word and you can see just sampling of the of what people have made in the past so we ask people to share it on social media if they feel comfortable doing that and use that hashtag um if people are bloggers or have a website um we ask them to write about it and kind of share what we're doing it's all part of just recovering out loud and kind of having this nice network of people you know showing that there's a lot of beauty to recovery you know it's not all the mm-hmm. sad stories or staying stuck way back there there's a lot of beauty that comes from it Mm-hmm. So beauty and creation. Yeah. And, yeah. So I'm so happy that it's been a year and we'll, maybe next week we can announce the theme for the next one. So people can kind of get on board. I think so. I think that sounds good. Yeah. Well, let's talk about our guest today. We have a really wonderful guest today um, named Megan Peters, and she is a writer and a photographer, a designer, a recovery advocate. Um, she's been blogging, um, since 2004 and she's based out of Kansas city. And so she started that blog back in, like I said, 2004 and it's called crazy bananas, which I love the name, (laughs) which we'll talk about that a little bit in the interview. And it just kind of covers everything in her life. Um, she started it, you know, way back when. So she talked about bedtime stories that she reads to her kids or adventures or style relationships, um, kind of any pop culture, like just, it's a lifestyle blog. And, um, her writing about living as a mom in long-term recovery has um, been featured on Scary Mommy, on the Kansas City Moms blog, substance.com and addiction.com. And she writes on other topics too, and has been featured on pixelkin.org, blog her, blog her tech, Altitude Design Summit, which I've always wanted to go to. I know, Alt Summit, yeah, right. And Design for Many Kind. And she is a regular contributor to segments on parenting and photography for several Kansas City-based television shows, such as Fox 4 Morning Show, Better Kansas City, and Kansas City Live. She's awesome. Yeah, and so we're not even done with her bio. She does <laughs> so much. It's She's such an inspiration. She's um, also a photographer, which is one of the things that drew me to Megan when I first met her online. She takes beautiful portraits of women and families, you know, children, babies, and and a couple of years ago, her business sort of took a shift, where she got back into social justice and activism, and um, she started taking pictures of of uh, survivors of domestic violence, and she had a gallery show for that, um, where the proceeds were donated to a. Um, domestic violence shelter in Can- in Lawrence, Kansas. She uh, 
2016, she traveled to Greece and photographed a refugee camp for Syrians that were fleeing the civil war. And that, all of that work, just recently culminated in a gallery show in Kansas City um, where the, her prints were for sale and she raised over $1,300 for the refugees. So she does uh, so much. And what you'll hear from the um, interview is that she credits recovery to all of the work that she's doing now. So yeah, it's what a great big, beautiful life she has. I know. I know. And she had a birthday this week and she turned 35. So she's, she's going to keep doing great stuff. Yeah. How lucky to get sober at that age. I think I wish I had gone a little earlier, but, (laughs) but it happens when it happens, right? No regrets. (laughs) Not shutting the door on anything, but, (laughs) but yes, it was just a delight to talk to her. And yeah, she has, she's just multi-passionate, which a lot of our um, interviewees are, and and we are, you know, we have a lot of Mm -hmm. different things that we're into. So it's kind of cool to see uh, and to talk with somebody in sobriety and just see how they kind of make that happen. How they make it work. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. It's my favorite thing to watch other women that um, do wear many hats. I love and make it all work. And I think that, that we can do this um, in sobriety. We have a chance to be able to pull it off. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I hope everybody enjoys meeting Megan and um, well, on to her interview. Enjoy Megan. Hey, Megan. Hello. Good morning, Megan. Good morning. How are you? You have you have a birthday this week. I did two days ago. Thank you. That's exciting. Was it a big birthday? It was 35. Oh, that's big. It's big-ish, especially because this was my first, like, quote-unquote, big birthday since I got sober. So that was kind of fun to... Yeah, I was going to say, um, birthdays and sobriety are, are really fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I really liked it because my last big birthday was right before I got sober. So I was kind oh. of just, you know, in a real um, not-so-fun place in my life. And so to kind of look at the change from that birthday to this birthday was just, just really fun and really nice. And it was a good day and I felt very loved. So that was good. I bet you got lots of, lots of mommy kisses. I did. Yes. My kids were very excited. They, they took my husband to target and apparently made him fill the cart with like decorations and things (laughs) like that. And I came home to Aww. The kitchen decorated. It was really nice. How many, how many kids do you have, Megan? I have two kids. I have an 11-year-old and a 6-year-old. Oh, so you have a middle schooler. Is that close? close? I'm really oh, no. close. So we are, our school district is the only one in my area that still does 6th grade in mm. elementary, like mm. they used to do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, back in the day. Yeah, yeah. they're going to switch it. And, and we actually thought they were going to switch it to sixth grade and middle school before she was there, but then they didn't. And it's actually really nice. It's nice to have her have, you know, one extra year of recess and still getting to kind of be a, more of a kid. Um, I agree. Yeah. yeah. There's so really little like still. 
<laughs> yeah, and she's young. She just turned 11 this summer, so she's one of the younger ones in her class. So for me, it worked out great. And, and for me, too, because I have a pretty, not a huge gap, but a pretty big gap between my kids. So I was like, one extra year with both of them at the same school is wonderful. <laughs> yeah, my kids are five years apart, and they will never be at the same school together at the same time. So Yeah, yeah. it's hard. I got, I got two years, and I'm enjoying the one drop-off and the one pickup and mm-hmm. the one back-to-school night, because I know next yeah. year oh, yeah. I'll never be in the same school again after next year. So I'm, I'm trying to enjoy it. Yes. All the things I never thought about when I had a kid, right? Like I just these little, like now it's like, I'm going, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. That's a consideration. Of course you think about back to school night and yeah. (laughs) Right. Right. But who, who gets to plan that? I don't know. Maybe there are people that really really get to plan all that out, but even if I tried to plan it out, it probably, it definitely didn't work out. So you just gotta, gotta take what you got and enjoy what you have. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Megan, we're going to jump right in and, um, tell us about how you came to sobriety and what your sobriety date is. I know that you just kind of hinted at it, but if you identify with the date, we'd love to hear about that. Sure. So my um, official sobriety date is April 16th, 2013. So I have um, a little over four and a half years of sobriety and my main um, poison of choice was alcohol. Um, and yeah, I, I definitely feel really great four and a half years in, but I'm learning so much. It's so interesting. You know, when you get one year, you feel like, Oh my God, I've been sober forever. And now mm-hmm. I look back at myself at one year and I'm like, I was a baby and I'm right. still a baby now. So, um, so that's a little bit of the wisdom that's come along is that like, I'm still a baby and I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm doing the best I can. Um, and so I got sober when I was 30. So my last birthday, I just turned 35 and it was just, it was a long, slow <laughs> decline. Um, I w- didn't have any huge incident that happened that kind of pushed me into it. I uh, started drinking in my teens and I was someone who was a grade A perfectionist. I had to be perfect at everything. I grew up in a home that was um, a little dysfunctional. Both of my parents dealt with being adult children um, of alcoholics. They weren't alcoholics themselves. But um, there were just, you know, a lot of behaviors that come when you grow up in a home like that. And and my parents actually had me a lot later in life. I have older siblings that are about 20 years older than me. And then they had they had me and my younger brother when they were in their um, mid to late 40s because they still Mm -hmm. felt super young. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But the, the problem with that is, you know, 10 years in, then they're in their 50s and they're like, I'm exhausted and I have a 10 year old. Um, Oh, God, this is my future you're speaking of. <laughs> well, you have to all split up. Like, because my parents' issue was like, they were just parents forever. Yeah. You know, like they yeah. were. Oh, were, true. No. Yeah, I was just a late straight. bloomer. <laughs> yeah. So, like, they, you know, were dealing with it for you know, basically 30 years, you know, straight, because they had just kids through that, that whole time. Oh, um, too. Yeah. yeah, I know. I know. I look back on it with so much compassion for them now. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I don't know how you did, especially once you have kids yourself, you're like, Oh my good God, how did you do that? Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, I wanted to be perfect and to not upset anybody and to make my parents happy. 
Um, and I found alcohol as this release, you know, I could be perfect all the time and then kind of release with alcohol. And then, um, in my early twenties, I got unexpectedly pregnant. Um, and my, my boyfriend at the time and I had been together for a few years, um, and decided to get married and we had this baby and all of a sudden I became this, you know, full-time working mom person (laughs) and Mm -hmm. I was like 23 and all of my friends were still in college. You know, I, I was really lucky that I had graduated early. And so I already had a degree and a job and everything looked fine from the outside, but I was really, really struggling. I was really, really struggling with being lonely. I didn't feel like I had a community. Nobody understood what I was going through. Um, and then I had my second child about five years later. And in those, you know, five years between when I had the first and the second one or four and a half years, my drinking really escalated. But I remember when I got pregnant with him, I was like, oh, thank God, because now I can't mm. drink anymore. Yeah, um, I felt the same way when I both times I was pregnant as well. God, yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. And it was it's so funny when I look back now on my pregnancies, I felt so great during pregnancy. You know, mm-hmm. I, I had hard but the rest I felt wonderful and so much of it now when I look back is probably because I was actually taking care of myself and I mm-hmm. wasn't drinking exactly I was drinking a ton of water I was eating well I was sleeping um but with my second child you know by that time I was in my later in my later 20s I was about 28 and um I went back to drinking so quickly mm-hmm. and it really really scared me um because I, I was still nursing, you know, and I knew it didn't, mm-hmm. it wasn't normal how quickly I went back to it. And from there, it was just kind of a slow slog to the end, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like just so depressed and just felt like I was so um, unhappy with my life. And so I started changing everything in my life. You know, I, I had been kind of the main breadwinner in our family. My husband is an entrepreneur. And so he had started a company. And so I supported us as a family while he started his company. Well, his company finally started doing well. Um, not finally, they, they, they did started doing well. And yeah. so I got to a position where I could take a step back from this full-time corporate job and kind of concentrate on what I wanted to do with my life. And I was like, okay, now I'll be happy because I hated my job. Mm-hmm. And it didn't get better. And my kids were getting older. And so they were getting, you know, quote unquote, easier. And it still didn't get better. And it finally got to the point where the common denominator here was the drinking. And, um, you know, I tried to quit, I did like a 30 day, you know, oh, I can quit for 30 days. And I made it 28 days. And I was like, well, I'm good. I can I quit for 28 days. I'm not an alcoholic. And, um, and that was in November of the year before I got sober. So it still took me, I mean, I was actively trying like hard mm-hmm. <laughs> for a couple months before it finally, finally stuck. And, you know, for me, it wasn't any huge, uh, thing. I went to my uncle's funeral and I remember coming home and, uh, the day, the, the day of my last drink was actually the day of the Boston marathon bombing. Mm-hmm. And oh. so I got home from this funeral and, you know, I'd been out of touch, you know, I'd been in a funeral and I was out of town and I started getting all these texts. Like, did you see what happened in Boston? Cause if you all remember back then, we didn't know what was happening. Like, was this mm-hmm. another huge coordinated terrorist attack? This was kind of the big thing, biggest one that had happened since nine 11. And, and, um, I turned on the TV and there was a bottle of wine sitting on the counter and I started just drinking it while I was watching it. And I just remember there was this weird moment of clarity where I just thought like, this is not making anything any better. Like, I don't feel any better about all of this craziness 
about my uncle, um, who was a huge influence in my life. Um, and I just dumped it down the drain and I don't know why that was the moment. Um, but it was, and I'm so grateful and it's really, it's interesting because, you know, my sobriety date now, it's, it's every year, it's like, there's all these news reports, you know, looking back at the Boston bombing, like the day I'm, mm-hmm. it's, it's very weird. It's like the whole universe is like reminding me of that day mm-hmm. uh, right around then. But I'm super grateful that it happened the way it did. And sometimes when I tell that story, people are like, oh, well, you were able to just quit, you know, like you're not really, you weren't really whatever. And I just want to be like, you have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. Because I mean, you know, if we, you know, we all have a day one, if we've got some time under our belt and for whatever reason, um, if it was like this little window of clarity that showed up and, you know, we just happened to jump through it at that moment. Well, and I have, you, you know, can only describe it as a miracle. Who who knows why? Right. And I had been dabbling, you know, in the recovery community. I, I joined an online community months prior. And so I had kind of built up, like I knew what I needed to do. I just hadn't done it. Right. <laughs> and so when that moment hit, I knew where to go. I knew what to do. I knew just what to do next. Like not what to do forever, but what to do in the next moment. Um, and I was very lucky in that for whatever reason, my husband was traveling that week. And so I just like hunkered down and I had some pretty, uh, intense for me, physical withdrawal, which Mm -hmm. was really scary. That that really scared me because I didn't think I was physically addicted. I thought, you know, I'm just emotionally addicted or whatever. And I think that scared me enough that by the time he got back and we were kind of back into normal life, I had had a little bit of distance. Um, Mm -hmm. and I just wanted to make it happen, you know, and I just really, really focused on, okay, what can I do today? I really, really lived in the day and that is not something I am good at at all. I am horrible at that. So it's a miracle that I was able to make that happen. It's a practice, right? It's a, it's a practice for sure. Yeah. And, and for whatever reason, I was able to do it long enough that I got some distance. And once that physical craving was gone, um, I remember I was describing it to someone, my, my car had broken down and so it was in the shop and I had to go pick up my daughter. She was in first grade from school. So we had to walk. And I remember walking home and just like looking up at the trees and being like, Oh my God, like the world. Never is noticed really, these before. The world is really pretty. Like, wow. And I always describe it with when I was a kid, I got glasses for the first time when I was like uh-huh. in sixth grade. And I had really horrible vision, but um, my parents didn't believe me that I couldn't see until finally a doctor was like, you need, or a teacher was like, you need to take her to the doctor. And when I came out and put my glasses on for the first time, I remember that moment, like looking around at the trees and being like, oh my God, you can see individual leaves. Like I never knew, you know, cause I just always seen blurry. Like I just thought that's how everyone saw. And um, I really, like, I remember I was in that moment on that, like, I was probably a month into sobriety and I was like, oh my God, it's just like when I got my glasses, Mm -hmm. like everything is just beautiful. And I was also very lucky that I lived on a very pink cloud for (laughs) a good Mm -hmm. period of time. Um, And just, I was just so grateful, you know, to feel better. Like I just felt so crappy for so long. I had the same experience. It was like crappy was your baseline. So you right. just didn't even know how, how bad you felt mm-hmm. until you start feeling better. And then it's like, wait, that, that sucked. Yeah. <laughs> how did I do that? <laughs> right. And it was just like, I wasn't 
tired. And like, I felt like my head didn't hurt, you know, that dull headache that I'd had for like three years was gone. And, and, and I kind of just was like, I feel so much better. I don't want to lose this. And I was really, really lucky because I'm, you know, a pretty stubborn person in general, um, or I was, but for whatever reason, I remember I went on to my online community and I just, I looked at the people that seemed like really happy (laughs) and I was just like, what did you do? Like, how did you get here? Like what, what steps did you take? Mm-hmm. And and then I just tried them, you know, yeah, and they're what a, you wanted. Yeah. And there were a lot that didn't end up being something that I stuck with or didn't work for me. But for whatever reason, in that moment, I was open to try whatever. I was just like, whatever I can do to like be happy and be like you and feel serene and, and, and all of that, um, I'll try it. And so I tried so many different paths. Um, and I got something out of all of them, you know, Mm -hmm. and now when I look back four and a half years later, I feel like I took something from all of those things and then brought it back to make my own personal kind of sobriety practice. I love that. I love that too. I mean, that's being open and willing when you're at your end, right? I mean, that's the key. And so when people ask me like that same question is like, well, you have to be open and willing to try something that you've never tried before, whether that be any kind of modality, I'm still doing that, you know, and I, I, I'm open. I feel like if I would shut some things down, I mean, obviously if it's not, you know, if it was something really huge that was really in contrast, but nothing, nothing has come up for me in sobriety that has been that, oh, I can't do that. Right. I don't, I don't think, I mean, not that I can think off the top of my head. It's like anything is better than what was. Yeah. That's yeah. how, exactly how I've, I've approached my recovery. I, if something stops working, I'm willing to try something else and whatever keeps me moving forward. Yeah. And I really, one of the other things that I really struggled with in before recovery was this feeling, you know, of guilt and shame that we all deal with. Mm-hmm. But one of the real big guilt, shame triggers for me was like the idea that I wasn't doing things right. Mm. Like that I wasn't doing the right thing. I wasn't doing what I was supposed to. You weren't doing recovery um, right. Yeah. Right. And, and I was really, really lucky. And that again, I feel like it's part of the miracle that, you know, I went to things like I went to 12 step and 12 step was not exactly my jam. Um, religion is not exactly my jam, but for whatever reason I was like, well, I can go here and there are good things here. Like, let's just sit in these good things. And then if it doesn't work, try something else. And I didn't feel guilty. Like, I just Mm -hmm. felt like, well, you know, as long as I feel good, this is what I should be doing. Um, Which was a huge change for me because I was very much like, whatever you tell me to do, like authority and like, I didn't want to do it wrong. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I've had people tell me I'm doing it wrong. You know, <laughs> just because people are in recovery doesn't well. mean that they're perfect or they are, you know, everybody has their stuff, especially in 12 step. Yeah, and, and a lot of people who have opinions. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> willing but, to share. But, yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, I'm really open about my recovery, which um, is starting to become more normal for sure. But um, especially when I first kind of like, quote unquote, came out as a person in recovery. Um, people in my recovery community locally were not super happy about it. And it was a miracle that I was like, okay, like, that's cool. If you're not happy about it, that really has nothing to do with me, but that's cool. Um, and I just think that it's so much of that is like building up your, you know, toolbox as you go. And then you're able to handle things like that when they come about. I think, I think like what you just said is so important because I think, 
what we're learning when we're, for me, what I learn in those rooms is how to practice being me on the outside of the rooms. So the yeah. rooms provide kind of this, this container for me to try things on for size, to speak the truth or to meditate when someone's talking about something that's annoying me. Um, that happens in the real world, <laughs> right? right? But I get to practice it there. And I found a lot of, I still find a lot of helpful tools and that's why I go back. Cause it's like, I need, I need some practice cause I'm having a wonky time in my regular life. I'm going to go get a little tune up and it doesn't always work out perfect, but th- it's available. And I think that's really, it's really key to be open. Mm-hmm. Uh, did I ever tell you that, uh, somebody in a, ended a meeting one time, it was a long time ago, like in the beginning of my sobriety I think and uh she said let's let's see if this shit works at home (laughs) (laughs) I love that that you can just say anything like that right I mean some people sit in my meetings and be like you guys are all effing you know bullshitters I don't believe a thing you're saying but and then they say their truth and no one responds there's no crosstalk and it's just I find it a way to speak up and speak out that I've been keeping in all these years and drinking to stuff down. Right. I got to actually tell the truth and like nothing happened. Yeah, <laughs> It was a safe place to do it. I found that magical Touch in the beginning. Fire. Yeah. And when yeah. I was reading, um, when I was reading, um, your blog and some of your bio and doing some research on you, Megan, I was like, um, I think I was listening to a podcast that you did too. And I was like, I identify with that kind of perfectionist, um, organized People pleaser totally and I think I'm, I just kept nodding my head I'm like yep yep I identify with all of that and why I drank um because it was a lot of pressure you know so I think yeah going in those rooms and practicing that stuff is good medicine for me yeah and like worst case scenario even if like a meeting isn't the best thing for you like you're sitting in a quiet room for an hour like, and not thinking about yourself, hopefully Mm -hmm. you're listening to somebody else. And so I was always like, you know, and I'm still like that. I'm, I wouldn't consider myself super active in AA at the moment. I was, I was pretty active in 12 step, um, the first two years or so of my sobriety. And I've just found as I've changed and grown and all of that, there've been other things that have been more helpful to me, but I still go to meetings every, you know, not regularly, but you know, enough, Mm -hmm. um, when I need them. And every time I'm grateful that I went, Mm -hmm. um, even if what people say doesn't exactly touch me the way I want it to, um, you're sitting in a quiet room with people who understand what you went through and Mm -hmm. you can kind of get out of your own head and your own problems for a little bit, which is always good for me because I like to think about myself a lot and (laughs) I need a little break from myself. (laughs) Totally. Mm -hmm. I hear you. I'm the center of the universe for sure. Me too. (laughs) Well, you have a great blog, speaking of, called Crazy Bananas. When did you start your blog? You've had it forever, right? Forever. I'm a blogging dinosaur. Um, Yeah, (laughs) I started in 2004. So I started blogging. I was uh, studying abroad. I was going to go study abroad in college. And my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, um, at the time, you know, you, they didn't have like Wi-Fi. You had to go, if you were going to email people, you had to go to an internet cafe and like put quarters in a machine and, and like try to get all your emails done. And so he was like, you know, why don't I set up, he's a, he's an IT guy. He's, he created his own IT company. So I was really lucky to have like in-home tech support. And he was like, why don't I set up this thing for you? It's called a weblog. And then you can just update that and everybody can go there 
instead Uh-oh. of you having to send all these emails with everything that's going on um, in Italy. So if you go back and search like the archives, like way back, it's like, they're so bad. It's like, hi, I'm in Florence now. <laughs> great. And then there's like a really crappy digital photo of you can't even like see because it's taken with like an HP yeah. giant camera. Um, and so I did that. And then when I came home, I graduated from college and I started a job and I was miserable and, you know, whatever. And I just started writing about my job and I started writing about my life and I just continued. And as I got pregnant and we got married and for whatever reason, I just kept writing. I have a, I have a journalism degree and, um, of course didn't end up working in journalism because there were no jobs. And so it was kind of an outlet for me. Um, and it actually ended up being a really wonderful thing because it helped me develop my writing voice without any pressure because the only people reading blogs back then were like my friends. Like, family, you know, yeah. Yeah. I don't even know, think my family wrote it, read friends, it, but my yeah. friends wrote it. And, you know, I, the year that I came back from Italy uh, studying abroad was the year Facebook went wide. So up until then, there were only like five universities where you could like be part of Facebook. And so like my friends, would, like we would have conversations in the comments. It was like kind of what Facebook and Twitter and Instagram have become now was kind of what blogging was back then. And, um, and so, yeah, I just started writing about life and things that I enjoyed. And as I found photography and creativity, I wrote about that. And then as I got into recovery, I started writing about that. So it's kind of just this giant catch-all um, of my life. But it's really fun because I love looking back at you know, where I was, it's kind of like a scrapbook of my life. Yeah, like your diary. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm really bad at scrapbooking and stuff like that. So, um, (laughs) like baby books, not great. Like my, my kids, baby books are literally where I downloaded. Yeah. No, I downloaded like posts from the blog that were tagged with their name and printed them. (laughs) Um, but it's been, it's, it's really great. I love having it. I, I, for a couple of years, it was kind of a business too, and it still kind of is, but I've been transitioning back to making it more just for me, um, which is really nice because it takes that pressure away again. I can just write about what I want, which is great. I was, I wanted to ask, cause I love your logo. I love, um, did you design that? I did not. Oh, no, I, it's beautiful. I'm really lucky that in uh, the area that I'm in, in Kansas city, we have a really great, uh, creative community here. And so I, I'm lucky to have many, many creative friends and and a friend of mine actually did that for me yeah I love it it's beautiful yeah your blog is beautiful it's very cohesive and fluid and it's pretty because you're a photographer so it's that always makes a blog really really pretty if you're an artist or a photographer were you creative as a little girl um, you know, I always say I was creative, but I didn't know it. You know, I, I wasn't a very good artist. I was, I can't paint. I can't draw. Um, I I made like a really ugly bear out of clay one year that's still in my parents' house. And I'm always like, oh God, there's that bear. Um, <laughs> I, I wasn't creative. I was a writer. I always loved to write and to read. Um, so I focused kind of on that. That was kind of my creative outlet was writing. And then I found photography actually right after my daughter was born. Um, when I was pregnant with her, my husband's family all got together and bought me a digital camera, like a nicer, a DSLR Canon digital camera for Christmas that year. Mm. They all together. And so um, when she was born, I just started um, using it and, and I loved it. And so started doing research on how to use it better. And I'm self-taught. I basically learned on YouTube. <laughs> um, I love that. 
Yeah, it was, you know, I just, I had such a desire to learn. And it was one of those things where when I found it, I was like, oh, this is my thing. You know, like I'd always felt like I was a creative person, but I never had whatever my outlet was, whatever my medium was. I just didn't know. And so when I found it, I was like, oh, look at this. I am creative. And so it's always funny when people are like, well, like with the design thing, I do a little bit of design and like a little bit of web stuff and people will be like, oh, we'll have Megan design the logo because she's so creative. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm <laughs> I could take a picture for you, but I still right. can't draw. <laughs> that has not, I haven't miraculously learned how to draw. Um, but yeah, and I just kind of kept working at it and I enjoyed it so much. And I was really lucky that I did have, you know, a full-time career. So I didn't have to make money off my photography for a really long time. You could just hone your skills and develop a style. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you definitely have a style. I, I, yeah, I, when I look at, cause I, I did go to school for photography, but just two years, you know, I, I'm a few hours short of a associate's degree in photography, but one of the benefits, and I'm not saying that because it really doesn't mean a whole lot, but one of the benefits of be of going to school for photography is you get to um, learn about, you know, there's rules and then you can break the rules. So you learn about comp- composition and style and um, my favorite part were the critiques when, you know, you could bring your photo in and have your fellow students comment on it and the instructor and all of that. But, um, yeah, when I, if I look at your, all of your work as a portfolio, you definitely have a style. Yeah. And the great thing online now, just with the world being the way it is, is, and, and like I said, we have this great creative community here in Kansas city. And so I've been able to reach out to photographers I admire here and, we, we do a lot of trades, like I, like I was saying. So, for example, there's a, a wonderful photographer here who was trained in New York and is an international wedding photographer now. And she started um, this workshop, so where photographers and other creative entrepreneurs come in and take these classes on whatever it might be, like just things you might need as a creative business owner. So... Um, oh, that's great. Yeah. Everything from like, what, what, what legal documents do you need to have set up? Like mm-hmm. how do you do taxes, accounting... Um, but then they also do creative classes. And so one of the things that I did was I, I teach classes on blogging for business and like getting your website set up. And then she would trade and I would go to classes with these like amazing photographers on posing on, you know, OCF off camera flash and lighting and all of these all the things. technical mm-hmm. stuff that, yeah. So it was really, it was so great because it, it also feels good to be able to share something that maybe, you know, and comes naturally to you. Like for me, I have a degree in in marketing, so doing blogging and marketing and stuff is really easy, but that doesn't come naturally to everyone, especially Mm -hmm. creative people. And Mm -hmm. so so that's how I also gained, you know, I did a lot of self-taught and then I got to take that next step. Um, And then we also do critiques. So yeah, that helps so much to develop. It's kind of the same thing as developing your writing voice, you know, developing your your photography style. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And when did you feel, when did you make the jump and make it a business? So I did that in 2015. So it's been, it'll be three years in January that I Was that hard? Was that hard to get the confidence (laughs) to do that? Yeah. Yeah. It was really hard because, you know, when you're an artist or creator, your work kind of becomes very precious. Mm-hmm. And, um, for me, I don't a, know what you're talking about. <laughs> I don't know, right? Not for me though, because I'm super confident and it's mm-hmm. like, um, 
as a people pleaser perfectionist as well, throw uh-huh. that in there, um, having to ask people to pay me money was really hard. Um, hard. Having to, you know, maybe have a client that isn't happy with their session is so hard. I just, mm-hmm. I want to like crawl in a cave. Oh, um, but I was really, really lucky. Like I said, I, I had spent a couple years doing these workshops and, and I just felt like it was time. And I'd been doing it on the side for so long that, um, that I was really excited to kind of see what I could do. And, and it's really evolved. You know, when I started, I was really focusing on uh, like family portraiture and things like that. And actually just last month, I launched a whole new uh, kind of business um, which is focused more on commercial and business photography. And, and that was like another whole, like, Oh God, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, okay, we're just going to pretend I know what I'm doing. Here I am. Um, but I think it's evolved and that's really, really good. Um, and just even learning, you know, about business, how to run a business. That's the, that's Mm -hmm. the thing. I think a lot of photography studios end up failing because not because they don't take beautiful photos, but because they don't know how to price themselves to be profitable or they don't it's know how to run hard. the business. So yeah. hard. Um, and I don't know about you guys, but you know, where I live, there's a lot of photographers here. <laughs> there are a lot of photographers. Yeah. So it's yeah. a very saturated pool. And so just also getting to the point where, you know, if someone doesn't hire me being able to say, you know, well, they're not my client, like that's okay. They're, they're mm-hmm. not for me. There's other, there's so many other photographers I'm sure they'll find someone um, right. and find kind of what my little niche is and, and what I can bring that's special to, to a client is, is kind of been the challenge, but I've been enjoying it. So, and what's the name of your new studio? It's called August light studio. And so it, it kind of came from the fact that, you know, when I first started my business, my, my children were still pretty young. Like I still had a preschooler. And so for me, being able to work on nights and weekends was really important because I wanted to be with them during the day. Well, now they're both in school full time. So mm-hmm. we've gotten to the point in our parenthood journey where we have all the activities all the time. And so I was like hiring um, babysitters to like take them to practice because like I couldn't be there because I had sessions. And then I'm also um, a pretty active um, activist in my community. And so a lot of those sort of events happened in the evening. And so mm-hmm. I really wanted to find a way to, uh, work more during the work day. <laughs> and like I said, I have a background in marketing and public relations. And so I really wanted to launch something where I could really focus on kind of bringing beautiful images to businesses to help them sell their products or services and really, that's a great niche. Yeah. yeah, And really integrate into their, their marketing strategy and work with their marketing team. And, and so, yeah, I just launched that in August and, um, got my first studio space. So that was really exciting. Yeah. So they're all kind of together. I mean, it's all kind of part of one big thing, but, um, but yeah, but it's like you did some problem solving too, right? For the creative, like I'm, I'm gone all the time from home and as a mom and being a creative too, like we have to figure out when we can fit all of this in and Sandra and I struggled, not struggle, but we dealt with that this summer. You know, how can we, how can we fit this in and here and here and what are our kids doing in our schedules? Um, so yeah, figuring out a studio during the school hours, you know, to, to do that work is you just created your solution. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and for me, I mean, 
it, it wasn't that, you know, one of the things I've really learned in the last year, like I said, I've been really into activism in the last year and, and doing a lot more um, than I had been. You know, I used to be a really active person in terms of social justice and different issues, but I kind of had stopped doing that when I got sober because mm-hmm. there's only so much you can do. Um, but especially in the last year, I've really wanted to get more into that. And so I had found I could use my creativity to do really incredible things in that realm. So like, for example, last year, right around this time, I actually was able to travel to Greece and photograph a Syrian refugee camp there. And um, and ended up, we actually just about two, three weeks ago, gosh, it's all a blur. Um, I did a, a photography show here in Kansas City to raise money for the camp, um, which was super well attended. It was an amazing event. But like being able to use my creativity for that sort of thing. And then I can make the money to fund my business and my life mm-hmm. and whatever, working with these businesses. It doesn't have to be the most perfect creative project. It can just be funding these other things that I can do as well. And kind of letting go of that preciousness there was so freeing for me. Mm-hmm. Isn't it so cool when you can pull back a little bit and see the big picture and say, okay, here's here's what lights me up here's what I'm good at. And then like merging those things together is so cool when you can figure that out and find solutions to make that work. Yes. Cause I think a lot of creatives, uh, a lot of photographers for sure, but I think a lot of creatives in general, there's, there's a lot of pressure that comes with making money off your art. And so doing this kind of allowed me to still do my art, still do my work, still do what my good things out in the world. Um, but then have this thing where I'm making the money over here, <laughs> mm-hmm. still using my art, but it takes away a lot of that pressure. And then I can use my own creative license on these other projects where maybe I'm not getting paid by a client and can do good out in the world with that. And it's been a really good balance for me. It's, I'm glad that it's working for right now, but I think of course, the biggest lesson from it is it may stop working and then I need to find, you know, another way to make it work and that's okay. Right. Right. But just, just doing it, you know, it may be more of a pivot than a complete 180. Yeah. And I'm still doing a lot, especially this time of year, um, is kind of, you know, the big portrait season. So I'm still doing that kind of through the crazy banana side of things. And, and still enjoying that. I'm just focusing more of my like future work in the other in August light. So can you tell me just, just cause this interests me, I don't know if it interests anybody else, but, um, how did you come up with a name for crazy bananas? And then also for your, um, other business, August light studio, I'm always interested in so, how you put that out into the world and how you came up with that. Crazy bananas is the dumbest story in the world. Um, <laughs> Aren't you so glad I asked? That's what happened. No, cause people ask all the time. Okay. And pretty like it's a weird name and um but see so this is what happens when you develop your entire life's branding when you're 21 and there's no such thing as personal branding because it doesn't exist yet right and then you're stuck with it forever so what ended up happening was um when I was in college like I said I I have a journalism degree and I was in uh, a class called campaigns where you're basically trying to develop these marketing PR campaigns for like fake companies and me and my partner were sitting there and we thought we were just so funny. And we were like, if I developed a company, I'd call it crazy bananas because <laughs> when you're crazy, you're bananas. <laughs> yep. That's the story of crazy bananas. Um, and so then like when my husband was like, or my boyfriend at the time was like, let's make this website. And he's like, you need to think of a URL. Like we need to go buy one. 
And I was like, crazy bananas. <laughs> and so literally that's how it came up. I love it. Um, and I spent, <laughs> oh my gosh, probably half of the life of crazy bananas trying to figure out how I can not be called crazy bananas anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. But the mm-hmm. problem is, is because it's been around so long, it has a lot of name recognition. Like I'll go to blogging conferences or people don't even know what my name is. They, they don't know your real me, name. They call me crazy bananas. <laughs> and so I'm like, well, I don't want to lose all that. And so actually that's part of the reason when I started August Light or when I, when I knew I wanted to do more business to business or commercial, you know, that was part of the problem was like, well, you can't go into some you know, corporate environment and be like, hi, I'm Megan from Crazy Bananas. Um, And I reached out, you know, like I said, we have a great community here. And so I reached out to some other, some other photographers here. And one of the best pieces of advice that I got was if I wanted to start focusing on um, lack of a better word, commercial, it's more business to business commercial. It's not like I'm shooting magazine covers, but, um, but if I wanted to focus on that, I really needed to have a website and a business that was separate from even my portrait business, because Mm -hmm. there's so many, um, for lack of a better term, like moms with cameras who are like, I'm a photographer, which is fine. That's totally Mm -hmm. fine. And there's a market for that too. Um, but that, you know, if a business, a corporate business is looking at your website and they see just like pictures of babies and kids and things like that, um, they're not going to hire you because they're no. not going to think you're legit. And so you're, or you're just not niched in the what they're exactly. looking for. Yeah, exactly. And so she was like, you know, it would be really good for you if you had a completely separate thing that mm-hmm. that's what you were focusing on. And then so I knew I wanted to do that. And then I uh, worked with a designer that I designed Crazy Bananas, but August Light's website was designed by a, a designer because I don't have time to do that. And, um, outsource. Yeah. She did my logo for August light too. And, um, and the name actually, it was really hard to come up with a name for it, but, um, August to me as a mom kind of feels like the beginning of the year. Right. Cause mm, the kids right. go back to school. I can uh, actually yeah. work. Um, I'm sure you guys understand. Yep. <laughs> it feels like January one, like yeah. everything is new. We can do this. Um, and so I really, I love the idea of having, having that be a part of it. Um, and then light just, you know, photography at its bare minimum definition is the capturing of light. And so I knew I wanted light in there somewhere. And then because I was finally going to have my own studio space, I I definitely wanted studio. And so we just put it all together and I have to give a shout out to, uh, one of my friends, my friend Elizabeth, because, um, have you guys ever heard of Voxer? Do you guys use Voxer at all? No. Is it B-O-X? No. I think no, it's a V. V-O-X. I've seen it. I've oh. seen it. What yeah. is it? So Voxer is like an app that you basically send voice messages to each other, but then oh. you listen to them like when you have time. So it's oh, like, okay. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, a, they call it like a walkie-talkie app, but it's a little mm-hmm. different than that because it records. And then, and for me, like number one, I hate talking on the phone, but I also hate texting. So <laughs> it's a great like I have full on conversations on Boxer. Like we're all like leave. It's kind of like being in a meeting. You leave your whole, you leave all your stuff on the table, and then they can come back and leave all their stuff on the table. And so I was boxing with so a friend of mine. I know. I know. It's, it's amazing. It's, <laughs> we're gonna need to do this. Thank you. Thank you so much, yeah. Megan. Sandra's gonna hate you after this because <laughs> Tammy's gonna fill up her Boxer <laughs> inbox. <laughs> but then you can just listen to them whenever you want. It's amazing. Anyway, we were boxing about like, I, I wasn't sure what to call it. And she is actually the one that like came up. She was like, what about August light studio? And I was like, yes, that's it. 
So, yeah, that's how that's how it came to be. Well, a little I bit like better it. of a story than if you're crazy or bananas. I don't know. I like that one. It's you don't you don't forget it. It's easy to find as a URL. You can't misspell it. I don't think. You know what I mean? Like it, that, that's all important too. So there's some genius in that kind of simplicity of of naming something as well. The best so. part is when I have to give my email to people, and they're like, <laughs> "What's your email?" And I'm like, "Megan at crazybananas.com. And they all look at me, and they're like, oh. One word, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep, that's, great. that's me. <laughs> oh, that's good. Well, so you, we've touched on a lot of this um, kind of encapsulating what you've shared here, but do you, I mean, I'm imagining you feel more creative and productive since you got sober, but I'm making an assumption there. So, so do you, do you feel like it's all kind of fueling, you, you know, does your recovery fuel all the things that you do now? It does now. Um, I should state that, you know, in my first year of recovery, I quit all the things. So Mm -hmm. I focused. Yeah. So I had just, I quit my, my full-time corporate job at the end of 2012 and then got sober three months later. Mm -hmm. So I was, I hadn't started, uh, like the photography business full-time yet, but I was doing it on the side. I was working part-time actually for my husband's company for the first two years. Um, and I couldn't. I couldn't do it. Like my brain was just so tired. Yeah. It was hard enough for me to just like take care of my kids and like answer emails. Like there was no way I was able to be creative. And then it was actually the following fall. So I had like a year and a half of sobriety um, when I kind of put out there like, "Mm, maybe I'll try to do like mini shoots again, like 30 minute quick with families just for people I knew. And I remember getting out there and being like, oh, my God, I can do this. Like, okay." And so I think now it definitely fuels my creativity because I I just couldn't do what I do if I wasn't in recovery. Just even the, the business part of it. Like, there's no way I could have done that without having my recovery behind me. But but it took some time. It's not like all of a sudden I got sober and I was like, oh, I'm creative. For the first year, I really did think I had lost it. I didn't Mm. blog. I didn't do anything because I just, I needed that time to kind of heal. And it was such a, it's such a vulnerable time. And I had always been, you know, the thing about being a blogger for like a billion years is that when I started blogging, you know, nobody was reading it. So I wrote about everything. Like I didn't hold anything back. I posted when I was mad. I did all sorts of stuff. And, and I'd always been so open online just because I always had been. And so it felt really weird to not talk about recovery. Mm-hmm. And it was such a big influence in my life, especially that first year. But I didn't feel comfortable talking about it yet. So I felt like I shouldn't talk at all. Like I was like, I just need to be quiet for a while. Yeah. I think that, that is so important to say because I think, um, you know, I see so many newly sober people think that they need to have some light bulb go off about their primary purpose or what's next or what their passion is. And, um, I think it's important to say that, that sometimes you just need to get quiet and focus on your sobriety. And I felt like every year that I've been in sobriety, like there's been another thing that I've kind of been like, Oh, now I can do this thing. So the first year it was literally just survive this, (laughs) like Mm -hmm. survive this and don't drink. And then the second yeah. year was more like getting into back into my spiritual life and, and learn going to therapy and all the stuff. 
And then the third year was really about starting the business. The fourth year was about getting back into advocacy. Like it didn't all happen at once. Yeah. It's, you you kind of have to build on it. And, and like, I wasn't public about my recovery until I, I went, became public, I guess, on my two year sober anniversary. Like it, it took two years and I was somebody who was online and open about everything else. Um, but I think it's important that you just protect yourself and do whatever works for you. I'm not saying that everyone should wait two years or talk no, about it at right. all. I think that right. you don't need to talk about it. But, but for I, me, yeah. I was talking about everything else. So it mm-hmm. felt really like disingenuous to be like, my life is so much greater now, but I'm not going to tell you why. Um, <laughs> Top secret. <laughs> right. And, and for me, it kind of fueled that shame thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like I was like, why am I not talking about it? Am I not talking about it? Cause I'm embarrassed. Cause I'm not embarrassed. I'm really proud of it. Um, but I think that everybody has to decide that for themselves and taking a little bit of time before you decide that is really important because you know, those first few months and even years, it's like, you're still healing. Yeah. And so you, it's like taking that time for yourself. It's so, it's so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just so easy to compare yourself to others and you know, what is, what are, what is everybody else doing? Why am I not to that place yet? And all the yet. Yes. I I kind of look back at that time rather affectionately now. I mean, I was, Mm -hmm. I was working so hard on myself for the first time and actually really following through and doing things and keeping my word and, you know, removing that alcohol from my life, that component and that social aspect, you know, I was so alone that first year, but it was kind of magic too, because, um, I learned so much and it was by listening and sitting in the rooms for me and finding other sober women to chat with. And, um, I look back at all that now and it was hard for sure. Friday nights were the hardest. And, but to learn how to like, just be with yourself is something that I didn't think, you know, I don't think I would have ever thought of if I had not given up drinking. I think I would just be still going kind of on the little hamster wheel and just not feeling or, or being introspective enough to, to pause and look at my life and like living an examined life is like, it's a gift. And mm-hmm. that, I think that that in sobriety, we get to do that. We get to kind of examine how things are and pause long enough to, to, to just look at what we're doing and why. And I love that. Oh, yeah. Totally you're, you're reordering, you're recalibrating yourself that first year or two. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I feel the same way. I look back, you know, because I got sober in April and then my kids got out of school in Kansas City. We get out in like May, Mm -hmm. which is crazy. And so like, I remember that summer so fondly. Like I remember just getting up and taking care of the kids and like just survive the next minute. But I had never been so kind to myself. Like I'd never given myself the grace to just like Mm. take a nap if you feel tired go to bed early, take care of yourself. And I look back at that time because I did let go of so many other response, like not responsibilities, but just obligations that I had put on Mm -hmm. myself. And just like, I remember that time so fondly as well, even though it was really hard. I I remember it really fondly. Mm -hmm. Same. Yeah. It was beautiful. Yeah. Well, this is going to be a little bit of a segue, but I'm just curious about this since you're a mom and a wife. So with all the things you do as a business owner and and the advocacy work you do and a mom, and I would imagine that coming home to a safe place for you to recharge would be important to your recovery. Do you have, I get these questions a lot. Do you have any advice for anyone who 
maybe their home isn't the safest place for their recovery. For instance, if they have a spouse or partner that drinks or there's still booze in their house. Sure. So that was probably one of my biggest challenges, especially in early sobriety. And even now, um, is having alcohol in my house. And, and, and part of that too was the guilt of everyone saying, well, you can't have alcohol in your house. You're never going to be sober if you don't get all the alcohol out of your house. Right. And, yeah. and I share a home. I'm, I'm not mm-hmm. the, the number one. I wish I was number one in everyone's life, but, <laughs> um, but we all have to actually think about other people sometimes, which ugh, so annoying, but I guess I can do that. Um, and so, you know, I, especially early on, um, I really, I took some, some random steps, but one of the biggest things I did was I looked for other women who were going through the same thing I was. So I didn't go to women who lived alone in an apartment or didn't have the same life that I did, um, Mm -hmm. for advice about what I should do in my life. So I went to women who were married and had kids and had alcohol in their homes and said, how did you do it? And I got a lot of really good practical advice, which you wouldn't think would be so needed, but like one of the most important things that I did in early sobriety, and this seems so silly now, but it's like the best thing that ever happened to me was that I um, bought a mini fridge for my garage and all of my husband's beer goes in the mini fridge in the garage because it drove me crazy, even though I didn't necessarily want to drink it, to open my refrigerator to make dinner. And just and see TV. it all there. That's a, such a good, just a little thing. But yeah. And it was like, solution. exactly. It was like, you know, a hundred bucks at Costco bought this mini fridge. And actually it, it was really good even for my husband, because I, I remember him being like, thank you for thinking of me because I had made this huge life change. And honestly, I didn't really ask him about it. <laughs> you know, right. I was mm-hmm. just like, I'm not drinking anymore. And, um, and my drinking was so fueled in secrecy that when I quit, it was really shocking to a lot of my friends and family because they didn't know there was really a problem happening because I hit it so well. And, and so it kind of led to this odd, like distrust of me, like, well, what happened? Like, why would you stop? Like, did something happen? Like, Oh, right. Why you know is this I mean? so sudden? Yeah. I, yeah. To me, it had been, you know, going on for so long, but to them, I had been putting on the pretty perfectionist picture for so long. They had no idea. And so to them, it seemed like all of a sudden Megan's completely changed mm-hmm. and, and now we all have to deal with this new person and, you know, I wasn't a super, I mean, I had the pink cloud, but I was also like really kind of crazy for a couple months. <laughs> like I didn't have any tools to deal with things. So I, 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 you know, was putting them through stuff too. And so to do that for him and say, listen, I'm not asking you to like stop drinking for me or even not have alcohol around, but like, could you just keep it in the garage so I can't see it? And, and he was like, thank you. You know, he really appreciated that because it, it showed that I was thinking of him too. Cause at the time I was, I was a person who, was never really selfish. I was always selfless, but kind of in a very selfish way. <laughs> and I had switched to being really selfish. Like I needed to take care of myself. And so mm-hmm. for him, I think it was really encouraging to see, like I was still thinking about his comfort as well and trying to find like a good solution there. Um, and that really helped build some trust between us as well. Um, and then the only other thing that I did, I did ask of him was to not have red wine in the house. Um, because that was my drink of choice. Mm -hmm. So, um, and so, and he's been really great about that. You know, there really hasn't been red wine in the house. And, you know, for me also, I think like, I never, I don't have like a romanticized version of what alcohol does to me. You know what I mean? I don't see alcohol and think like, well, that looks fun. Um, so it wasn't that 
hard to stay away from it, actually, with it being in front of me, which I think is ironic. But it's something I've found with a lot of women who have alcohol in their home is that um, they romanticize it or if they have a spouse that romanticizes uh, that thing that you used to do together. Sure, sure. You know, and I think, you know, part of it is who I am now is so much better than who I was then. Um, that I think now it's a lot easier for people to look and go, oh, well, yeah, she shouldn't drink. <laughs> but in the first few months, that's not necessarily the case, right? Because like I said, I was pretty raw. Um, yeah. I didn't feel better right away. And so I think just, just you know, I didn't romanticize it because I saw kind of some of the things that it did to people I loved. And so I didn't, I didn't want that for myself. So that really helped me to kind of frame it in that way instead of looking at it and being like, oh, look how fun that is. Because <laughs> it really isn't. And I was never yeah. fun. So um, remembering that was really important for me. I like that. Uh, my husband would never, I, I would never romanticize my drinking. I don't think he would either. <laughs> you know, because it was kind of a shit show at the end. So no, I don't think, I don't think that that would, would be over happening over here. But I, I do, I appreciate that, um, that little garage fridge is such a great idea because yeah, the half a bottle of wine that's, that's half in the fridge. Yeah. I've noticed that all week. I yeah. still notice it. The the two beers that are in the back, I don't even, I've, I've only ever had two beers in my life. It wasn't my drink of choice, but every time I open the fridge, I see them. Yeah. So that's, that's a great tip. I thank you for that. Um, I wanted to share just for our listeners too, since we're talking about this a little bit, one of the things that I asked my husband to do because he's a quote unquote normie, um, is that I didn't want him to drink at the dinner table anymore. Um, because that used to be a place where we'd have cocktails We have cocktails and we'd bring them to the dinner table and then we'd switch to wine. And I wanted our son to see us have just dinner without any alcohol, you know, with the exception of Thanksgiving when we had a crowd over or Christmas Eve. But I was like for normal weekday night meals, can we just not have alcohol at the table? And in the beginning he slipped a little bit and he was doing it. I don't think he heard me or I don't think he knew how important that was. And in therapy one day I said like, okay, this, I've said it, I've asked it a few times and it's not happening. And he was like, I'm sorry. I didn't, I thought I was, I, I didn't recognize that I even did that, you know? And so it was just kind of automatic that he did it and he didn't, cause he doesn't have the problem that I have that I am fixated on it. And he stopped and that has helped our home life a lot. And it helps ease things around dinner time Cause that was the time that I drank the most. What about, what about you, Sandra? Well, you know, my husband and I have only been together for 11 years. So I, you know, our dating period is still pretty fresh on my mind. And, um, we long distance, well, I say long distance, we were only about an hour and a half away from each other, but still we didn't see each other every day in the first year that we dated. Um, because he worked full time and I worked in a different town and, And, uh, so, you know, our drinking was definitely, definitely had a romantic feel to it in the beginning because we were dating. And so, you know, when we would see each other on the weekends, we would drink and cook and we'd go to wineries and that's just the thing we did. And at that time, it looked like our drink, to me, it looked like our drinking was the same, even though if I was being honest about it you know, I would preload and I would keep going and 
you know, it was never actually the same, but I had convinced myself that it was. And then when we actually moved in together, I figured out pretty quickly, and so did he, (laughs) that our drinking was a lot different. And so I think he kind of started changing his behavior around alcohol, if not right in the beginning of um, when we were together, he certainly did towards the end. He he didn't want to encourage me, so he wouldn't bring alcohol home so much. Um, and that's when I would get sneaky about it, too. I was sneaky, like you said, Megan. And, um, but, you know, my behavior had gotten so bad that, uh, you know, he... There were no romantic, no, no more romantic <laughs> notions for him. Right. <laughs> None no. at all. So, so when I quit drinking, our situation looked a little bit different. He uh, has not brought any alcohol in this house in three years. And I have not even asked him. There, wow. there wasn't a boundary that I set up or anything. He just hasn't because he his, my sobriety is very important to him. (laughs) Mm. And so, um, so yeah, I, so when I get, when I hear other women struggling about, you know, there being alcohol in in the home, it's hard for me to identify because I, I feel so lucky and I'm not sure how it would have gone for me if there had been, um, wine in the house. I think it would have been so much easier for me to have just a fuck it moment, you know, like, uh, mm-hmm. screw it. It's here. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm you are lucky. Today. You are lucky, yeah. Sandra. You are. Yeah. You're lucky. You are the luckiest. You win today. I, I hear a lot is, um, women will say to me, like, I don't know how you did that. Like, I don't know how you do that. I don't, I, or or they'll say like, there's no way I ever could have, could have done that. But I think the most important thing that like, I want women to know is you can get sober, whether there's alcohol in your house or not. You you can. You can. Exactly. I'm glad you said that because yes, I probably would have struggled more. I don't know if I would have gotten sober as, uh, I don't know if it would have I don't know how it would have gone in the beginning, but I, yes, I think it is important to say that you can, you you know, there is no situation in which we have to drink. So, and I think it's really important to like find, like I said, kind of find women that are going through that as well. Um, Because one thing that I know that I really struggled with is, um, that might not be something that someone's super comfortable talking about publicly, but if you know they're going through that, like reach out to them privately and say, like, yeah. how did you handle that? Especially if they have some sobriety under their belt um, and can kind of look back on that because there are lots of things you can you can do. And, and also just that connection with someone who gets it um, is so important and is so helpful because you just don't feel alone then. You know, you feel like, oh, I can do this like she did it so I can do it. Um, and so I think that's a really important thing for women to do if they feel like that's a struggle in their sobriety. Yeah, because then the issues just keep, you know, things just will just continue to come up too. like, you might get over that thing, you know, the, the very beginning of recovery, but then things will still 
keep coming up, like, you know, unfairness around not being able to check out or, you know, yeah. look at him. There he goes having a good old time while <laughs> I'm sitting, sitting with it. Yeah. <laughs> it, so it's, things just keep coming up. Well, it's hard because I feel like um, I can only talk about my situation, but just you want a little bit of buy-in when you're going through this major life change. And I know that you've just shared, Megan, like you were doing this and your husband, you know, it was your thing that you were doing. We can't make our spouses like do the thing we're doing. You know, can you please have a spiritual awakening husband? Because (laughs) I'm kind of having one right now. It'd be really convenient. (laughs) We're working on ourselves here. So then that teaches me that like, I don't control the universe and it is just my side of the street and all those little sayings that kind of resonate because they're true, you know? And then I just wish that I had, um, I think if I had gone into treatment, um, we had a guest that had shared that, that she went into treatment and that, you know, her family kind of had to, to sign on and buy in when we're quietly going to the room or like I was quietly going to the rooms before my household woke up and I would go to the 7am meetings and I'd be home before, you know, they're just getting out of bed. I'd already done a lot of work that they had zero clue that I was doing. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they, they're living their life like they're living it. And we're having all of these profound things happening, um, that I was kind of keeping to myself for a long time. And it was really great to be able to share those with other women. Like you said, find somebody that's like you. That's what drew me to Sandra. I was like, I felt like we shared a story Mm -hmm. and, but it's really hard when your spouse is not, you know, quote unquote woke as, as I as I read about and people are saying like you're like come on get woke with me no that's not happening okay well it's tough and yeah. um, even if you know in whatever degree that a spouse drinks it's just they're still drinking and you're not and that's got to be you know it's just hard to deal with and uh, thank you for sharing like some of your tips because I think I think that's going to resonate with a lot of women I agree well, we are at the stage. Do we have anything else we want to share or talk about or promote? <laughs> Megan, you got a lot of things. You got a new studio. You got, um, oh, yeah, and, and your website is crazybananas.com, right? Yeah, yeah. If you go to crazybananas.com, I have a whole section on recovery there now, which I'm really excited about um, because I I've had a lot that. of that. Yeah, well, I've had a lot of people be like, well, you're a recovery blogger. And I'm really not. I mean, I blog about recovery here and there, but my blog is kind of just all over the place. Um, lifestyle, so right? Yeah, I mean, sure. Lifestyle. Yeah, that's what yeah. we call it when it's all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but I'm really glad to have that section now kind of as a gathering spot because um I did, you know, I've written pieces for like Scary Mommy on recovery and other websites and done podcasts. So to have those all gathered up in one place is really good. Um, and yeah, so yeah, I just launched the new the new business. That's um, if you go to augustlightstudio.com, that is the new the new business uh, side of things. And I'm really excited. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I actually because I just wrapped up this this huge art show two weeks ago. I feel like I have nothing. I was on like a big promotional kick for about a month. I was doing all these TV segments and radio segments and podcasts. And now I'm like, oh, now I don't know what I'm promoting, I guess. Just myself, just me, because <laughs> um, I was promoting that event so hard for so long. But um, but yeah, so just going to continue doing the work out in the world and, and trying to build this new business. And I'm excited about it. Okay. Well, thank you for coming on here and sharing that today. Oh, quick, quick question. Do you travel, do you travel as a photographer or are you just Kansas city based? 
I do travel. Um, I, I don't travel too much just because of the kids, but, um, right. but I will. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. Wow. You want to okay, well, segue here? This is, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So at the end of every podcast, either Tammy or I or our guests uh, shares three things in their Unruffled Toolbox, um, which is a, a an imaginary or very real toolbox that <laughs> we compile things that help us cope and with our recovery and creativity and we would love to hear what your three things are, Megan. Sure. So my first thing is probably not a surprise. It's just writing. So whether that's writing on the blog, whether that's a journal, I do keep a journal and try to journal every day. Um, I've tried to do the morning pages thing, but good grief. How do people do that with kids? Like, I'm like, yeah. like I get on a roll sometimes. And yeah. I, yeah, I'll do it for like a month and I'll be like, yeah, I feel so good. And then like two months later, I'm like, wait, I forgot to write in the thing. What time is it? I don't know what's going on, but, um, <laughs> but I do try and, and that's a good place for me to just to like, kind of like word vomit everything out. Mm-hmm. And then I just feel like I've left it on the page. And I can go on with my day. It's yeah. also been super helpful for me in therapy because then I have something to take with me to look back on um, and to see patterns, you know, in my thoughts and in my actions and in some of my craziness, like to be able to see kind of where all that comes from. So writing is a huge thing for me. Um, so the second one, it's like, it's really hard to think of three, you guys. Like, this is hard. You can say as many like, as you want. I have like 12. <laughs> go, no. go for so it. So this one, I totally, even though they're not going together, I'm counting them as one just so that I can have two, um, <laughs> which are um, exercise and meditation, which I know are not the same thing. But um, for me, yeah. So for me, exercise in the last, so I really started exercising again in year three of sobriety. So that's another thing, right? Everybody gets into sobriety and then not everybody, people get into sobriety and they're like, okay, now I'm going to lose all this weight and I'm going to start running marathon. I'm going to drink green juice every day. And yeah, Mm -hmm. I survived on gummy bears and ice cream cake for Dairy Queen. My first year (laughs) of sobriety. It was great. I miss it. Um, But... But around year three, like, especially part of it too, is I'm getting older, you know, I was, I was 30 when I got sober. Now I'm 35. Not that that's like old, but it's your body changes. Things change. And, and, um, and I really love feeling strong. Like it feels so cool to like, be like, Oh, I can see a muscle in my arm. I'm strong. Um, and so I really started working on being more regular with that. Um, and then one of the things that, you know, I really struggle with meditation, I really suck at just sitting still in the quiet. Um, and I, and then I feel shamed about it. I'm like, oh, why am I so bad at this? And everybody says if I just sit longer and do more and like it, it never really has stuck for me though. I have wanted it to. So one thing that I found that was really interesting, have you guys ever listened to the Allison show podcast? Yes. Okay. Did you hear her, her episode on, um, her, her walking meditation? No. Oh my God. She's the dance party girl. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. And she has sober dance parties, which is my favorite. Even she, though she's not in recovery, they're sober. Because she's Mormon. Right. I'm yeah. Like, I'm sort of. Like I don't Mormon. know this podcast. I'm going to have to find it. It's called, yeah. So she has a website called The Allison Show. And so they just started a podcast like earlier this year, I think. It hasn't been around that long. But she did an episode on, um, on 
it's not even meditation. It's like a gratitude practice. Right. And mm-hmm. so then they taped her husband is a musician. And so they did a podcast. It's 15 minutes. Um, and you can find it. Yeah. In her podcast listing or whatever. And it's literally a gratitude practice. Like she says the words in your ears while you're walking, it's supposed to be done while you're exercising, walking or running or whatever. And like, I will be bawling my eyes out, walking my dog, listening to this gratitude practice meditation podcast thing. And it's just one episode, but it's so great. Like in part of it, she'll be like, all right, now you need to say it and say it loud. Like I love my life and you need to shout it. And her husband (laughs) plays this really amazing music in the background. I'm like walking my dog down the street yelling, I love my life. crazy person but it's so cathartic and it really like when it's over I'm like oh my god I do love my life Hmm. like I feel great and for me it was really encouraging because I have so much trouble just sitting and being quiet to have something else like I'm still going to continue trying to sit and be quiet because I know it's good um but I have something else that I can go do that is to me feels equally as helpful and just jives more with me and my personality which I think Mm -hmm. is good um, and then the last thing I have is so simple, but it's in such a struggle for me is sleep. Mm-hmm. Sleep is huge. Sleep is a huge trigger for me. Sleep was my excuse that I gave to myself to why I needed to drink. Mm-hmm. Um, I have always really struggled with sleep and, um, and I would drink until I fell asleep. <laughs> Granted, mm-hmm. I'd wake up at 3am, but at least right. I fell asleep. Um, and so that's been an ongoing struggle for me in recovery is, um, is sleep, going to sleep, staying asleep. Um, and so for me, just making that a priority in my life is really important. And, and I always feel like I can handle things better. It's really interesting. Even yesterday, you know, I was just in a funk all day. I felt horrible. I was like, everything is horrible. I hate everyone. Everyone's mean. (laughs) I'm stupid. And then I was like, oh, I slept like two hours last night. Ah, yeah. That's ah. why I know. And then I came home and took a nap and woke up and I was like, I love, I love the world. The world is mm-hmm. lovely. Um, so, so interesting, right? It can huge... completely change your whole attitude about life. Just and like that. Huge, it's a huge self-care thing for me mm-hmm. is like practicing self-care in general, but sleep as a part of that. Um, you know, I listen to Brene Brown, like we all do, I think. And, you know, she talks about scarcity and about how like a lot of us, the first thought we have in the morning when we wake up is I didn't get enough sleep. So mm-hmm. you're already starting your day off feeling like I don't have enough. Right. Mm-hmm. So for me, really making that a focus and, and reminding myself that like working myself to the bone and not sleeping does not make me more productive. No, like, even though it, it feels not. like you are. You think you, it is, hard. but not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's a really, really big thing for me is focusing on that and making it a priority. Sandra, you talked about that. It's true. It's it's true. Yeah. I mean, I almost apologized ahead of time this morning because I got about mm, two hours, maybe less sleep than I normally get. And so I was already ready to apologize. Sorry (laughs) if I trail off. It's quite good enough sleep. I mean, it makes such a difference for me. Yeah, Yeah, it's huge. Yeah, it's golden. I didn't I I would wake up every night around between 2:20 and 2:30 would be my magic hour or so I thought. My my hour of, you know, that's when it the anxiety would kick in. 
um, for like a decade. Detoxing. You were detoxing. Yeah. Every, every single night for like a decade. And so, yeah, that sleep was so elusive until, you know, until I fell asleep at six 30 and had to be up at seven. And then I was a raging bitch for the morning and my poor family. But yeah, so the sleep when my first year of sobriety, um, I remember like coming out in January, it was winter. I'd come out to the living room at like, you know, 10 to seven. And I'd be like, all right, I'm going to bed for the night. Mm-hmm. My husband would look at me like a dog, like kind of his head would tilt and he'd be like, what? Uh-huh. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to go to bed. I'm tired. He's like, mm-hmm. all right. And I was thinking, I just needed the sleep because I would get up early and write and do my rituals and go to my meetings. So I, you know, I needed to go to bed a little bit earlier, but yeah, that first year was just that magical sleep and it's still, yeah, you're right. It's so important to, to my recovery. Oh, well, thank you so much, Megan. It's a delight having you on the show. I'm I'm so happy to get to know you better. Megan. Yes. Thank you guys so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, we will link up all your stuff on our show notes and, um, we hope everyone comes by and says hello. Yes. I would love it. Have a great day, Megan. Thank you. You guys too. Bye. 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 The Unruffled Podcast was created and produced by Sandra Primo and Tammy Salas. Our show is edited and mixed by Steve Hecht. Original music composed and performed by NMMD. Original artwork created by Tammy with the help of graphic designer Chris Aguirre. Thanks for listening.